Welcome to TribeCast. I am Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. And on this podcast, I am going to help you find your tribe and maximize your life. Welcome to another episode of TribeCast. Excited today to sit down with my longtime friend, Herbie Newell. Herbie is the president and the executive director of Lifeline Children's Services, which is a ministry near and dear to many nice heart. If you heard our adoption podcast several weeks ago, uh, we actually talked about Lifeline did our home study and was a big part of our adoption uh, for Benjamin. But anyway, Herbie has his MBA from here locally at Sanford University. He's been married 18 years to his wife, Ashley. They have three kids. Uh, We've gone to church together over the years. Uh, I've actually spoken at some Lifeline events. We've done some events together. So a lot of connections between Lifeline and Iron Tribe and excited to have Herbie here today. Herbie, thanks for joining us. Well, Forrest, thanks for having me. And I've loved watching just you and Mindy and even the way, I remember we're in small group together too at Brook Hill. I remember we were at a Christmas party at your house and seeing just this idea of what Iron Tribe would be in your garage and to see the way that the Lord has blossomed that and grown that and how he's used you, but not just in the fitness realm, but in so many different areas. And so we were we were just delighted to have you, I believe twice, come and speak to our team mm-hmm. at Lifeline about balance and about health, but also about just being all you can be in the Lord in Christ. So thankful for you, brother. Hey, man. And thankful for you and the work you guys do. Excited about our conversation today because I know you have a lot to offer. Um, let's start with, I gave a little bit of an overview, but for those who don't know you, who is Herbie? What makes you tick? What are you doing these days? What, is, you know, what does Lifeline look like? Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess you know we always look at our family, and and I know one of the things that you like to talk about is balance. And so as a family, we always do talk about balance. And so to start off and say I'm the director of Lifeline would be out of balance. I mean, like you said, first and foremost, I'm the husband to Ashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Christ follower. Uh, I follow the Lord, love the Lord. Everything that we do is around the gospel. And so we want our marriage to be centered around the gospel and who we are. We want to raise our kids in a way to know the gospel and how that affects everything in their life. And then ultimately, we believe in the care of the fatherless. We believe in doing gospel-centered justice around the world. And so, uh, you know, a big piece and a big testimony of our lives is the ministry of Lifeline. You know, I joke around with people and say it's kind of like that hair club for men. You know, I'm not just a client, but I'm I'm also the president. You know, I feel like we're not just the president, but we live this out Mm -hmm. uh, each and every day, taking our kids on mission, making sure our kids are right in the middle of it. And so, so a lot of what we do with Lifeline is to truly equip individual members of the body of Christ, like you and Mindy and others, to adopt, to foster, or to somehow get engaged for the poor, the needy, the orphan, and the widow around the world. But then really, our, our big, hairy, audacious goal is to equip the local body of Christ to, to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children and to get out of their four walls and to make a, a, a difference in the lives of the children that are around them who who don't have a hope, who don't have a future, who maybe have never had anyone intentionally lean into them. And we believe that it is the church that's to lean into them. And so a big piece of who we are and as a family really does revolve around this ministry to the vulnerable. And I saw just doing a little research and knowing you as long as I have, I mean, your kids have served 
like full summers, like in China and Colombia. Is that right? That's right. So, yeah, six years ago, they spent the whole summer in China. And then last summer, we spent the, the summer in Colombia. And then Caleb, when he was 12, he's 14 now, went with me to Uganda for a week to do a pastor's training. And then just a couple of months ago, Adeline, who is now 12, went with me to serve in Uganda. And then, and then too, we've, we've been able to bring people here, people from around the world. We've been able to host, you know, so many people in our home and to see the hospitality of our kids and the participation, even in things that are here at home. We've also, you know, fostered some kids for a month and a half in our own home. So it, everything that we do with our family is intentional to be focused around mission. Awesome. And we'll get more into balance. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, specifically your role as executive president, executive director. You've been there since 2003. And under your leadership, I know it has blossomed. So just talk about, you know, kind of where you found it when you were brought on board. And I know you're an accountant before then, so I'm sure there's a lot of leadership principles that had to be learned. Um, and then where it is today. So I started in, in 2003, and the ministry, I certainly don't, would never want to paint a picture that it was failing. It, it wasn't failing. Uh, it was in a stagnant period uh, as a ministry. And uh, incredible foundings in 1981, really founded out of a, uh, the crisis pregnancy center movement that was undergird in Alabama and was growing in the Southeast. Uh, you know, Save Life was, is a ministry in the Southeast of the United States that had really grown and uh, was very, you know, vivacious and, and and was very active and and getting into the 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 fray with women who were going through crisis pregnancies but really the the founders of save life felt like there was something more that was needed and so lifeline was founded in 81 to disciple these young women so it wasn't just a pregnancy test and and have life but let's disciple you through this pregnancy journey let's help you really understand who you are in Christ and rather you place for adoption or you're a single parent, let's make sure that you get the tools that you need to be to be successful. And so the ministry of Lifeline was not growing as fast as Save Life and really had stagnated. Uh, it was working in China and was working domestically. And when I came on, you know, there was some financial trouble for sure. There were some just things that missed opportunities, but yet still so much opportunity that the Lord had given to this ministry. And really a lot of it was just to breathe some business principles in to this. Uh, it was it had been run by social workers, folks that were godly fearing men and women, people who loved the Lord, who had accomplished incredible things, but had hit some brick walls when it came to how do we get this thing outside of just a Birmingham, Alabama ministry? Mm. How do we saturate this, the state of Alabama? How do we grow outside of Alabama into other countries? And so, you know, I I like to say I, I came into a diamond in the rough that was truly a ministry that the Lord had, you know, really made beautiful through intense pressure, uh, through a lot of time. And I was just the one that got to step into the scene where God had groomed me and grown me to, to have some business sense and some business savvy to say, here's how we can have core values. Here's how we can have a mission. Here's how we can make sure all of our folks are on the same goal, going for the same thing and, and really just kind of revitalize where we were going. And, you know, I, I know that 
a lot of folks can say, well, you had to do something. And I certainly did. Uh, I had to play my part, but really it was totally the Lord's doing in bringing this ministry. And so we, when I started, we had nine employees. We were working in China and really in Birmingham, Alabama. Now we are licensed and working in 14 different states. We have a vibrant, vibrant foster care program. We work in 25 countries around the world, uh, not just doing international adoption, but also strategic orphan care. Uh, just so busy on so many different levels and parts of the world. But a lot of those were just systems and structures. And you know as well, like once you put a system and structure in place, everybody knows where you're going. They know where your visions, that you have a budget that's operational. Starting to add to that, uh, yes, it's difficult, but it also becomes a little bit more simple over time. And so I think the lessons, too, that the Lord has, has grown us and stretched us in, which are real business lessons, too, is through that growth, I've had to lift my lid. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because a lot of people say, well, what do you do as the president? executive director. And I say, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like an entrepreneur. I feel like a businessman uh, in that I'm, I'm, I'm totally thinking about budget. I'm thinking about personnel. I'm thinking about vision. I'm thinking about direction. And I'm making sure that all those pieces are working. And then ultimately, I'm if I'm successful, I'm multiplying myself and other leaders so that other leaders can come and do the things that I used to do. And so Ashley and I laugh as we look back over the last 16 years and count all the people that are doing what I used to do when I first started and how the Lord has just multiplied that. And so, you know, whether it's a nonprofit, uh, whether it's a business, the things that we do as leaders are all very similar. Uh, I think for us, it's just been a lot of that has been accelerated because I really believe what we're doing is at the, at the heartbeat of what God is about in doing justice in the kingdom around the world. Um, so let's talk about who you're overseeing right now. So you, you talked about there was only two countries when you started, or really a state in, in the country. Um, from nine staff, what does your staff look like now? So we have about 160 staff members in the U.S. Uh, when you look at to just the contract workers and the folks that we partner with overseas, you know we probably have 40 to 50 staff members, partners overseas. So almost 200 people that we over that we see that we are working with. The Lord has grown that in so many different ways to bring the right people at the right time. And uh, all of that in the United States, 160 is sampled over those 14 states. Still, you know, the primary focus of our corporate office is here in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And so um, of the 160, my outside looking in observation is probably 85% of those are female. Wow. Probably 90%, (laughs) maybe even more of those are female, for sure. And uh, we just recently brought on another guy, and it's like, welcome to the club. There are very few of us. Okay. And why is that? You just think with adoption and and ministering to females, they're more drawn to it? I I think a lot of that is. I think one of the things is we do rely on social workers. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm not a social worker, and my predecessors were, social workers are such a big piece of who it is. And and, and mostly you find females. Females who are social workers, but but I also think there's a there's another piece to that is when you start talking about the intimate nature of adoption, of serving, of, of, of getting out there for children. In almost every single country in the world, if I bring a, a woman to bear to talk about child welfare, no one flinches, right? Because, you know, you go into Africa, men aren't really even supposed to touch children. Mm-hmm. And so when I bring a woman in there, that's natural and, it, and it's something that makes sense. Uh, you know, a man comes in and unfortunately, you know, men have been the reason of a lot of downfall of kids around the world. Mm-hmm. And so when a man 
comes and says, oh, I'm here to help kids. Uh, there's, there's, there's always an eye of, 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 you know, is that really what you're here for? Uh, they speculate if that's if there's something else underneath that. And so, you know, th- those ladies give us a face around the world to show that there's heart here. And then I think even when you talk about something as simple as adoption, and I'm sure you and Mindy, you know, can t- say as well, you know, the Lord birthed that in Mindy's heart before he brought that to bear in your head and into your heart. Mm-hmm. And so the women are the leaders in that process uh, in a lot of ways. And so it makes a lot more sense to have females interfacing with families. Uh, and, and then two, you know, it, it's it's not as weird to have a female asking a man intimate questions as it would be having a man asking a female True. intimate questions. And so for a lot of reasons, come to bear. And then, you know, unfortunately, I, I think women do lead out a lot of times when it comes to justice, uh, when it comes to, you know, matters of, of their heart's pouring out and having compassion and having mercy. Uh, and so it's just natural to have women attracted to what we do. It's it's difficult, not because, you know, there's so many women, but it's also difficult because, you know, a lot of, of these ladies, because they're working in this, they love children, they want to start families of their own. And so for us, it's a blessing to have these women, but we always feel like there's a cycle of replacement that's I'm going sure. on. Uh, because they're called to this because they love children and they want to have children and start their own families as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just interesting. I know so many people who work for you. It's just like, man, they're, they're all females. <laughs> uh, so I was wondering, that's a, a great uh, definition of why that is. It makes total sense to me. Uh, but you talked about multiplying leaders and growing a team around you. And for you to continue to elevate and do what you need to do and focus on vision, um, you're not overseeing 25 countries yourself and you're not overseeing 14 states yourself. So have you built a leadership team, kind of a core team that you're speaking vision and they have the direct reports? Yeah. So that's I have, you know, we have an executive team of six people. Okay. So those five report to me. I'm one of those six on that executive team. You know, and, and right right now, honestly, for us, part of my job and what I feel like the Lord has called me to do with that team specifically is I feel like their lids are almost at capacity. And so one of the things we're really doing right now as an organization is looking at all those leaders, redefining their positions, trying to define, do you have too many direct reports and really building teams underneath them and encouraging them to do what I feel like I've had to do over the last 16 years, which is change what I'm doing and give a lot of that authority away to someone else. And so that's that's right now where we go, we're going to be at capacity if these other five leaders don't start multiplying themselves. And so just preaching to them as well, hey, if we're not if we're not passing on the things that we learned, if we're not training someone else to do what we're doing, uh, then, then we're going to all hit our list and we're not going to be able to grow in the way that I believe the Lord wants us to grow. So in order to scale the organization, you've got to scale your people. What is the vision? Where do you want Lifeline to go over the next five, ten years? Yeah, so really we believe that we want to, we truly want to equip the local church. And and that's here at home, and that's the churches with walls and steeples, but that's also the church around the world. Uh, Our really big, hairy, audacious vision is that we would see less and less American Christian intervention with orphan and vulnerable children around the world, and we would see more indigenous intervention or, in those countries, domestic intervention. You know, we want to see Colombians adopting 
Colombians and fostering Colombians. We want to see the Chinese church raise up and show justice where they're planted. And so in a sense, we want to replace what so many Americans have done by going around the world. And, and even like you and Mindy, you adopted from Ethiopia. Today, it's impossible mm-hmm. for an American couple to adopt from Ethiopia. But we also know, and our friend David Platt and his church, McLean Bible, they're intentionally caring for orphans in Ethiopia. And, and there's overcrowding in orphanages. And as a ministry, we've been able to partner with them and see it ourselves, the overcrowding in the orphanage. So do kids need to be adopted from Ethiopia? Yes. Do they need adoption even in the United States? I believe they do. It's not available now. Mm-hmm. So we need to be intentional to press upon those churches to say, hey, this outlet, this safety valve of Americans coming and taking care of this, it's not available now. So what are you going to do? And how can we equip you to do something that they can't take away? They could try to take away your access, but they can't really take away your access to care for these kids. And so that's our that's our big, hairy, audacious goal. And, and we believe, and I don't want to go down a, you know, a, a rabbit trail on this, but with what's happening in our culture here in the United States, uh, we are slowly becoming one of the only Christian, gospel-based, gospel-driven ministries because everyone else seems to be compromising their values at the door. And because of that, the opportunities are so immense, even in our own country. And so, again, our vision is let's take care of our own country and get the church engaged in a, in a radical way here, but let's also get the local church engaged around the world. Yeah, and just from my experience with Never Thirst, scaling domestically is one thing. Scaling internationally is a whole nother set of leadership challenges. Um, all right, so before we move on and start talking about body and balance and being, I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about why you are so passionate about adoption and why you said earlier it's at the heart of the gospel. And I know before David came, I was maybe familiar with that concept, but didn't really understand it the way I do now. And you won't remember this, but probably 10, 12 years ago, I don't remember, whenever we announced to our small group that we were adopting, you prayed that day. And I was like, I wish I had that recorded because it was such a succinct, uh, just adoption gospel-based prayer um, that I know you can articulate here. So I'm going to give you the platform. Why is adoption at the heart of the gospel? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people realize God came to adopt us, and it's it's in Romans, it's in Ephesians, it's in Galatians, and it wasn't plan B, it was plan A, that he would graft us into his family by the blood of Christ. And so here we are, we're wayward, uh, you know, the Bible says that that our, our righteousness was filthy rags, there's nothing we could do to get to God. And so just like a child that needs to be adopted, helpless, hopeless, not in control. And that's who we were, we were helpless, hopeless and not in control. And at the right time, just like Benjamin needed you and Minnie to come at the right time, at the exact right time, God came in his grace through Christ at the right time to redeem us and to adopt us as sons. And the picture of adoption is what adoption even grants us. You know, it grants us access to speak to our father. Like we can talk to the king, author and creator and sustainer of the world because we're his sons. We're his daughters. We've been adopted into his family. You know, we have the presence of God in and and around and among us because, again, we are his children and he delights in us and 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 we can go to the father and so just in the same right you know benjamin 
can come to you and Mindy at any time he wants. He can ask you for anything. You ha- he has your presence, right? Because even at his age, it would be inappropriate to leave him alone. So he's present with someone. He's present with you guys. You're caring for him. And that's what Jesus does for us. He cares for us in the gospel. And so by adopting, we are showing a picture of what God does for us in Christ. And and certainly the, the analogy can break down, right? But over and over in God's word, he uses that imagery of adoption that I've brought you into my family. I had the opportunity in December to go to the White House, and I've used this analogy a couple times recently. And the president was supposed to be there on faith-based issues, and he got called away to do something with Putin and Russia, so he wasn't there. But you know, I was supposed to actually sit right next to the president, my one opportunity, uh, and he wasn't even there. But I had to go through a screening process. I had to be vetted. You know, I joke around. I probably had to get my blood type to be able to get access into the West Wing of the Oval Office. Today, Forrest, if you wanted me to take you, I can't. I have no access, right? That was a one-time momentary access. And that's like when we visit or we just do something for someone. It's momentary access. Mm -hmm. But if you want to know the author, sustainer, creator of the universe, I have access through my adoption in Christ because I am his child. And that's what adoption is such a picture of, is the access that we have to the Father, the abiding relationship we have with the Father, and the presence we have with the Father. And because that's the gospel, when you've been saved by that gospel, you want to go spread that everywhere. And the thing that I love, and and, and I'll close with this, about the picture of adoption and even the picture of orphan care, is when we go knowing that we are showing our gospel-driven adoption, it gives us opportunity to show the gospel. So it's not just giving a picture of the gospel, but it gives us an opportunity to show the gospel, to preach it to to children, to preach it to people around the world. Yesterday in Uganda, a young man passed away who had been adopted by this church. He was a Muslim man. When he came to Christ, he was flung out of this Muslim family. And uh, a pastor uh, that I'm dear friends with was sharing me the story and said, I had absolutely no idea the impact that Godfrey's life had until he passed away. Mm. And that there were at least 30 to 35 believers in Christ who said, I was a Muslim until I met Godfrey and he shared the gospel with me. And again, there's a church that loved on this orphan, that raised him up, that cared for him in Africa, and now he is outgoing and sharing the gospel. And so it's a picture of multiplication. It's a picture of duplication. It's a picture of how, you know, when we go and show the justice of the kingdom, it spreads like wildfire. Man, that'll preach. That fires me up. Thank you for doing that. And and it just underscores, like, how big your opportunity is to make an impact because the target market is plentiful. I mean, just the little bit of research we did to land on Ethiopia is just overwhelming of the orphan crisis. And so, really, you scaling your organization kids' lives are at stake. That's right. And I know that's something that drives you. So let's talk about how you stay at the top of your game as a leader. And I'm going to start with body. What do you do to make sure that you're taking care of your own temple so that you have enough to give for these 160, I guess, over 200, you count international people who are relying on you to speak that vision and be the top of your game, not to mention your family. So what are you doing? Body-wise. Well, and and you know as well, because you've known me a long time, that's not always been at the top of my priority. Yep. I got into the, the whole thing where I graduated college, was in good shape, started working for an accounting firm, poured everything I had, and then came into this ministry and even poured what I didn't have. And I sacrificed my body. Uh, I sacrificed the way I ate. Uh, you know, 
I, if I would was if I'm honest, which I will be, I was skipping lunch and eating way too late mm-hmm. at night, which is feeding myself wrong and all of these things. And you know, five and a half years ago, uh, I was actually on a trip with a guy, and he said, he said, "You're doing great work, but you're gonna you're gonna die young if you don't start taking care of yourself." Uh, that and and my wife very kindly and very simply, just you know, honestly, getting me a Fitbit. Um, for Christmas were the two things that really just jogged me to say, I've got to do something more intentionally to take care of my body. And so I dropped about 65 pounds over the course of of about a year. Uh, I started running. I started doing sit-ups and push-ups and just doing simple things that, you know, honestly, I had watched you do from afar, uh, I'd seen the things that you did just very simply uh, that you could do at home. And so I know even before we got on, I said I wasn't going to say this, but I will. You know, I travel a good bit. And one of the things I've committed to do is I'm going to get so many steps. I'm going to walk so many miles or jog or run uh, so many miles. We've done the Tribe 5K together. You know, we do 5Ks. And so running has gotten to be something that I never thought I would do, but it's good for cardiovascular. It's good just to get me going and get my heart up and my heart rate going. Um, And so outside of doing some sit-ups and just some upper body strength and lower body strength, I try to run every day. And if I'm in a hotel room and you're under me, I'm the guy that's jogging in place. And so a lot of times it's just jogging in place Mm -hmm. for a good 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, You know, again, I can't believe I'm saying all this, but I can email and text and do a ton of things. Now you got Siri. I can dictate things all day long. I listen to sermons. Uh, I listen to books on tape when I'm jogging. And so it's not just a time for me to be physically fit and to make sure my heart rate's going and then I'm concentrating on the body. But it's also just a good time to, as my mind is clear, especially to listen to sermons, to books on tapes, leadership books, all types of things. It's just a great time to go, okay, I've got nothing else to do right now. I can focus on that. And if I'm honest... Six years ago, if you had said you're going to be jogging in a hotel room or in a, you know, in a third world country, in a slum, in a guest house, you're going to be jogging in place for an hour. I said, oh, my goodness, are you serious? (laughs) I crave it. Yeah. Like it's the time that I crave. I feel my body wanting it. Uh, It wants to that exercise. And I have so much more awareness. Uh, I'm not as lethargic. I I can. My stamina is so much greater. And so I, I can't underscore the importance. And, and again, I, and I know this is why you do this podcast. God created us mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And so many times we, we, we pump the mind. You know, as Christians, we feel the spirit, but we neglect the body. So good. You know, what I love about it is it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't hear gym membership. I don't hear personal trainer. I don't hear crazy diet. I hear, man, I'm going to move every day. I want to do simple exercises. Sounds like you either do it at home or in your hotel mm-hmm. room. And it's just something you've committed to doing every day and making a part of your routine. That's right. And I mean, actually, if I told you my gym story, you'd laugh at me and say, why don't I join, uh, you know, Iron Tribe, which I should have. Uh, but I, I did have this free consult with a personal trainer okay. one time. He almost killed me. <laughs> uh, and he looked at me and he said, you got a lot of work to do. And I was like, yeah, I know. Uh, and <laughs> that's why I, I hired you. Yeah, that's why I hired you. But I, I, uh, I didn't end up going forward with that. But through that, it did teach me because at first I was just running, you know, I was doing the cardiovascular, but you got to build that muscle. You got to build that strength. And yeah, it's nothing fad. It's just a lifestyle difference. I really make sure that I don't skip 
meals, you know, unless it's on purpose, and that I'm not eating late at night. Uh, I'm not eating too early in the morning. I, I try to feed my body in a window, and then just watch what I eat. You know, watch the carbs, watch the the different things that I eat. Make sure I'm getting a lot of good fats. And so, a lot of the things you guys, you know, teach mm-hmm. at Iron Drive on, on on health and what you're eating. You know, I'm not completely you know gluten and dairy free, uh, but I, I still I try to make sure I'm watching those things. And and then again, just. Just getting that exercise and that movement in, it's so important. Well, 65 pounds, that's a heck of an achievement, and I can totally tell a difference in you, especially over the last five years. Mm. So congratulations on that and keeping it off because so few actually do that. And it sounds like from your energy and what you're able to accomplish and your leadership, like that's a huge part of giving you the stamina to lead this organization. All right, so let's talk about balance, and you really dove right into that, and I appreciate that. But let's talk about uh, your marriage, uh, you as father, some of the rhythms you've created to make sure this crazy entrepreneurial journey doesn't pull you away from, you know, winning at home, how tragic it'd be to be this champion for orphans overseas and yet losing at home in your own house. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I know that a lot of folks have said different things about this book. There are, there are so many good books out there, and, and I don't think anything's the gospel but the Bible. But I remember reading John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. And I remember when he said that as men, we conquer the battle through the dating of our wife, then just to give up or to say we've won that quest. And, you know, that's one of the things that when that book, when I read that book, and it was early in our marriage, I, I, I told myself, I can never stop seeking that conquest of my wife to learn more about her. You know, one of the things that we determined early on in this ministry is that she had the license to call me out when she was getting neglected. Uh, The other thing that I told her, which was the accountability part of it, is like we've already said, over 90% of our employees are, are female. Usually they're younger. And I knew as well that the thing that the that the enemy could do to destroy this ministry was to take me down a moral failure. And so she knows that if she calls, she I'm, I'm going to answer. If there's anything I'm going into that I cannot answer, I call her and I give her the time period. I called her right before I came onto this podcast saying I'm about to go in with Forrest. I can't answer the phone right now. But if I'm in with the President of the United States, I'm going to answer the phone if it's my wife because I want her to know that I'm accountable to her, I'm true to her, and and. And I want to support her. And so a lot of it is just asking questions of her. How can I support you? What can I be doing? You know I'm about to go on this trip. Are there anything I can do specifically for the kids? Any messages you want me to give them? Anything I can do to serve you before I leave? And then I, I think for me with Ashley and then with the kids, it I do believe that God has created most men where we can compartmentalize. And so I really pray as I'm going home or as I'm about to talk to them if I'm away, Lord, help me to put all the other distractions away and to be present. And so I, we try to be present as much as possible with our kids. And, and I try to be as present as I can that when I'm home, that I'm there, that I'm dad. We laugh together. We play games together. Um, you know, we do life together. We go out and hike together. We, we just make sure we do things together and try to separate ourselves you know, I'm getting into the teenage years now, which I know you're a little bit ahead of me. Mm-hmm. But the thing we made the decision about well before we got the teenage years is a distraction-free dinner table. 
and which meant that when we had devices and they didn't, that those devices couldn't be around the dinner table. And so a lot of that is just distraction-free zones in our family where they know, hey, when we do this, we're not going to be distracted. We're not going to be distracted by anything else. We're all in this together. And this is going to be a time that we share. And so how many things we've learned about our kids around the dinner table, how many ways we've had an opportunity to speak into their hearts around the dinner table. And then I think just lastly is when I travel, and and this is something we have as a generation that no one else had before us, which is the connectivity. Mm-hmm. You know, I can FaceTime and help my wife with <laughs> with a discipline issue from around the world now, which we never could do before. But utilizing technology for what it's really good for, which is giving us that presence when we're away, checking in. You know, I, I tell I tell colleagues, I tell friends, my accountability partners, hey, We'll check in with work when we're out of town. We know to check in with an assistant, to check in with the folks around us. Let's make sure that we're checking in even more and first with our family and to make sure that they understand that. And then lastly, you know, for us, like we kind of said, is I make sure that as much as I possibly can, my wife and my kids feel a part of this journey, you know, and it doesn't happen a lot, but, you know, recently friend of mine offered me a job to come and, and work uh, for his company and, and do some things. And, you know, he, he just, he pursued me pretty hard, I told the family, you know, hey, this is going on. It wasn't something I was seriously considering, but very open with them. And all three of my kids in their own way got extremely emotional and said, Dad, you aren't really thinking that the Lord is is allowing us uh, an exit from the ministry of Lifeline. Like, we don't want to be out of this ministry. And wow. and it was it was good to, to see that they were bought in. But I think that's intentional and that's over time. And that's allowing your kids to say, to see the vision. You know, we sell the vision to our employees. We sell the vision to our staff, you know, for us, to our, our funders. But are we selling the same vision to our kids and to mm-hmm. our families so that they know, hey, this is why I'm building this business or this is why I'm building this organization or this is why we're doing these things is so that, you know, Know, this will happen or, or so that we can do this good. You know, uh, I have seen, you know, Iron Tribe is a testimony of your family. So much good that you've been able to do for Never Thirst, for Wounded Warriors, for Lifeline, for other ministries. Like you're doing good through this business and you're also transforming lives of your clients. And and it's, it's letting your kids and your family know, hey, you're a part of this. Mm-hmm. We're all in this together. And I think when they feel bought in, then the sacrifices they make uh, are, are they're still hard, but they feel like it's their part of being uh, your it, it's their part in your vision and mission as a family. It's really well said. And there's three or four things I'd love to dive deep. I don't know if we can get to all of them, but you mentioned the romance from Wild at Heart. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan. I've reread it recently. I think it was even better the second time. <laughs> so if anyone's listening hasn't read Wild at Heart, especially if you're a man, um, although I handed it to Mindy and said, now you need to read this <laughs> and understand why I want to jump off every rock and swing off That's every true. rope swing. Um, but you mentioned the romance. So date night? Date night. You know, and I got to be careful because sometimes, you know, we are the ones that drop the kids off at church, student ministry, and then we go (laughs) off for a little date. But it's being intentional about those things. Uh, We do homeschool, and so we have a co-op. And uh, when when I'm in town and 
Ashley doesn't have a friend. We're, we're sneaking away to do that. You know, we're sneaking away to do all kinds of things. And then two, it, we, you know, we, we don't live off a huge budget. So it's not like we're going and doing these mammoth things, but it's just sneaking away and, and keeping the, you know, the ambiguity to what are we going to do and the, the guessing and the, you know, I, I like to do little fun things every so often and, and not make it the same thing that we're doing after all. And then two, just allowing my wife to bear her heart. Mm-hmm. And that's more than anything is giving her an open place to bear her heart. And I, I can't tell you I'm perfect with that, but it's something I'm constantly growing in and learning in is that there are times when I need to stop fixing and just listen and be and be present. And I know that's what my wife needs. And so some of those times that I feel like are the most intimate are those when I just was able to be there and allow her to unload and unpack all that was going on in her heart. And it's it's those times I feel are sometimes are most romantic. It's not the times that I've planned like, oh, we're going to have a candlelight outside on a picnic. I mean, that's cheesy romantic. But the times that have just been like, I feel like she, I had her heart and she had my heart are those times where we're just being together and allowing, especially allowing her to really share her feelings and share what's going on and not try to fix it. Yeah. Um, because just be you, there in the moment. You're fix it all day long, right? right? I mean, that's your role. You're putting out fires. You're thinking through situations. It's so easy to just respond the same way to your wife. So I totally understand where you're mm-hmm. coming from. That's a discipline and it's rich and it's sweet when you can surrender to that. Okay, I want to dive in one other part because you just briefly said it, but this has been a theme with almost every one of my guests. You mentioned accountability partners. Mm -hmm. So that means you have them. That means you are active in confessing and talking to them. Talk to me about the importance of accountability. I mean, as men, I don't believe we can walk this journey without accountability. And, you know, accountability is not what, and I don't know if you experienced this growing up in youth group where everybody says, oh, I'm dealing with this. And then it's just a, a bit of commiseration. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, we're yeah. safe. Everybody's dealing with this. Yeah. But this is people that can literally say, you're wrong. You, you're you going off on the wrong track. Um, you know, I, I, and I... Now, this doesn't work for everybody, but the men on my leadership team know that they have the right to tell me I'm wrong. They have the right to say, this is dangerous. Uh, they have the right to say, I'm worried about this. Uh, there have been times that, that we're, I'm very open to those guys as well as to others. The guys internally to say, hey, I've noticed, not not that I think she's doing anything, but this young lady is very friendly. You know, because I, here I am, I'm the president of the organization, she's young. You know, she's a little starstruck. Make sure that I'm never alone with this young lady. Not because she's doing anything, but because I know my own tendencies. I know my own heart. Uh, You know, decisions that I'm making. I want to run that by someone internally. Like, are there unintended consequences that I don't see of this that you can help me think through and make sure that we're making the wise choices? And then I want to run it by someone else. So, uh, you know, I probably a little bit different. I don't have a group of guys per se that we're getting together on a weekly basis. I have have these three guys that I know in a moment's notice I can call we get together one-on-one they can call me out on so many different issues uh, they know what those are and they know my hot buttons so they know what to ask me mm-hmm. uh, and for me you know if I'm just honest a lot of times it is are you being kind to your wife you know, are you being, uh, are you getting in, in go mode so much that you're running over her? Uh, that that can be something that, you know, 
love him, Chad Stubbs, he'll look at me in the face every time and go, how is Ashley, how would Ashley rate the way you're <laughs> loving her right now? <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's not me always, yes, it's me confessing, but it's also them knowing those questions because we've been walking so long that they ask me those uh, deeply. Uh, you know, pride, every man struggles with pride. And so, you know, the questions of, is the ministry owning you? Are you owning the ministry or is the Lord owning you in the ministry? And uh, there's something real different about all three of those. Mm -hmm. And my prayer is that the Lord be owning me and he be owning this ministry. And so I just have those guys in my life that know they can ask those questions. They can ask the hard questions. And then I know it's not feasible for everybody, but I try as much as possible when I travel to never travel alone. Uh, and again, for us, we're a family building ministry. Uh, I know that the Lord would love, I mean, the Lord would not, that the, the Satan would love nothing more than to destroy one of our leaders mm-hmm. uh, from infidelity, from moral failure. And so that's just, you know, and, and I think accountability too. know your weak places and make sure that you have somebody watching out for you in those weak places mm-hmm. uh, that's that's looking over your shoulder that knows, hey, this is this is something that you're going to struggle with. And I'm going to make sure that I'm going to intentionally lead in and ask you those questions. And, you know, I'm gifted. I'm not a good liar. So the people that know me well, you know, they can see right through me and they know I'm lying. And so I, I've told this story before, but. We were going through a really tough financial time at Lifeline. And, you know, when you're in a nonprofit, you feel like anyone you meet, even if they're the poorest of poor, could be a donor, right? And you get in your mind, no one wants to donate to something that's struggling. Mm. And so you don't want to share anything with anybody. Just like a businessman, you don't want to say your business is struggling. You you want to say, we're on the rise, we're growing, it's big. And I remember we were going into a Bible study, and my wife looked over at me and she goes, are you going to stop lying this week? And I said, what? And she said, stop telling everybody it's okay. And you need to unzip. Mm. And you need to, you need to be truthful. And, you know, it's in those times that I know you've experienced and I've experienced. When you unzip and you're just honest, man, you feel the Holy Spirit just fill up that void in a way that you never could by lying. And so it's it's not just having people that you can admit stuff to, but I think accountability is having people that know you so well, they can look at you and say, you're not telling me the truth. And as men... And as entrepreneurs, which I clearly think you are with everything that you're doing and growing, like we have a tendency to act like we have it all together because we're supposed to. That's right. We're the leaders. We're the ones with all the answers, right? And you said it. I've said it so many times. We cannot live in isolation. We, of all people, are most dangerous, most at risk Mm -hmm. to getting off track. So very well said. Took a lot from that personally. All right. So let's wrap up with Bean. And like so many of my guests, I mean, it's been Bean from the jump. uh, But... How do you personally uh, just make sure that you are in lockstep with the Lord, you're having your own personal time? Because you're doing ministry all day long. Real easy to say, hey, my nine to five's ministry and not guard that time with the Lord. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, so for me, I'm, you know, I was convicted probably the same as you. Uh, with David Platt when he was at Brook Hills of just being in the Word. And I remember the first time we read through the Word together, it was good for me because I'd read through the Bible a couple times, but but never really intentionally been reading the Word and God's Word. And so I, I like most leaders, task-driven, you know, you have those things you do every day. You know, as a leader of an organization, there's not many days that you don't go and you don't check the finances, right? You don't just make decisions in a vacuum. You go check the finances. And so for me, you know, I, having a Bible reading plan 
is is accountability because I'm not going to not check off my to-do list. Mm-hmm. Now, I know for a lot of people, a to-do list can become rote and trite and, well, I'm just marking it off, but I have to have a plan. And so reading through the Bible and, and the McShane Bible reading plan is one that I've used for the last decade. And and then I, I make sure that I add to that. So that's reading. Uh, you know, sometimes it's been a devotional that's gone with it. You know, I do love New Morning Mercies. It's a great devotional. Um, Sometimes it's just looking, okay, I've got four passages that I'm going to be looking at every day in the Bible. Some days it's, okay, I'm just going to look today. I know it's weird, but today I looked at Ezekiel chapter five because they're just things that struck me in that passage. And so I did a deeper word study of some of those words and just really dig it in and praying and going, okay, Lord, you were telling Ezekiel to lay down (laughs) and to just basically, you know, mimic your judgment for these people. Mm. Like, what does that look like as a leader to lay down and mimic, maybe not the judgment of the Lord, but mimic the character of the Lord. And so this morning, I mean, is is looking deeply to Ezekiel 5. But for me, and I think for most leaders, we have to have a plan. And a lot of times we don't start or we get inconsistent because we don't have a plan. We have a plan for everything else, but we don't have a plan for, you know, reading God's word for praying. And so I find actually that it's richer when I go, okay, this is what I'm doing today. And the Holy Spirit always adds to that because God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We can't read it if we're really reading it and not be changed and not be drawn. And so, you know, I pray every day, several things. One, show me something new in your word. Show me something from your word that needs to change me and impact me. And then three, Lord, I'm going to be in places where I'm going to need to make a decision today. And I'm not going to have time to go into my prayer closet. I'm not going to have time to think about it. I'm going to have to make it instantly. So, Lord, use your word and use your spirit to transform me to be ready for what is to come that I have no idea what it is. And I can't tell you how many times... He's been faithful that just through a simple reading plan that literally, you know, every day on this day, I'm going to read the same four, you know, four books or chapters in the Bible. But something has come from that that has informed a decision that I've made Hmm. and given me the wisdom that I've needed. And so I would say to men, especially believers, like, if you wouldn't go to work and if you wouldn't make a decision that's going to impact your company without looking at the financial statements, don't go to work and make these important decisions that are going to affect people's lives, lifestyles and their livelihoods and who they are without first going to the Word and studying the Word and looking to the Word. Very good. Um, so from a granular perspective, I like to get into morning routines. What yeah. does yours look like? Is it up super early? Are you working out in the morning, doing your Bible study in the morning before the kid's up? What, what does that look like? So Pastor Jim Shaddock's was really helpful to me with this. Uh, I am more, well, my wife would tell you she can't stand it because I'm a morning and a night person. Uh, but I do my best thinking at night. I actually exercise at night. Okay. Uh, which I can still go to bed when I'm ready to go to bed. I just built weird. So, uh, you know, a lot of times I like to go to the end of the day reflecting on what's happened. Uh, and so in the morning, it's reading God's word. It's kind of taking what I was thinking about last night and going, how's that going to be applied for this day? 
you know, I, I do like to look at the world news. I have a an app that actually updates me on the world news while I was sleeping. You know, we work in 25 different countries, and a water crisis in India actually affects very big, in a big way, what we do. Hmm. And so a lot of it's, you know, first reading God's Word, then looking at the news, uh, getting ready. Uh, if I don't have somewhere early to be, eating breakfast with my kids. Um, my wife does have some chronic illness, and so sometimes she's slow to rise. And so it's doing as much for her as I can before I leave. You know, I'm not afforded for that every morning, um, but I want to make sure that if I'm at home, I'm doing something for her. So it's, it's in the Word. It's looking at the worldwide news, uh, and it's it's getting my kids ready and, and eating with them and just preparing them for their day. Mm-hmm. If I'm on the road, it's reading God's Word, looking at the world news, and then just really spending how much of time I have in prayer for what's coming that day. Good. It's so interesting to hear the different rhythms. It's what you got to find what works for you and what you can do consistently. There's no, you know, working out in the morning, working out in the evening. It doesn't matter. You just got to get it in, right. right? And sometimes it's in the middle of the day, right. uh, depending on your schedule. Well, man, just so appreciate who you are, what you do, your family. You've had a personal impact on me. I know you've had an impact on so many kids, mm-hmm. so many moms. Um, love the ministry of Lifeline and just really appreciate you carving out some time to sit down with us. Absolutely. It's an honor. And then I do want to point out, you know, you talked several times about your budget and growing the organization, and this is all donations, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you are um, being, you know, you're seeking um, people to, to donate to the ministry so that you can grow, so that you can fulfill these things. You're not getting state funding. You're not getting any of that stuff. So if someone wanted to know more about Lifeline or they wanted to follow you, what's the best place for them to find that out? Yeah, so anyone can go to lifelinechild.org. That's our main website. You can learn about the orphan care, foster care. Uh, there's a big donate button if you want to give. Uh, like Forrest said, we don't take any state or federal funds. We don't want to work for the government. We want to work for the government. Um, or you know, we want to serve the government, not not be an employee of the government. And so we have a this year a $9 million budget. And and all of that is is out there raising it, wow. is out there asking. And, you know, the Lord is gracious. Um, we are not that ministry that has a large endowment or a large storehouse, but we've never been without. Mm. I thought we were going to be without a couple times, but we've never been without. And so he's just gracious to do that. And, 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 and I... I do believe uh, that that he also knows the leaders. And so I just encourage your listeners, and one last thing too, especially if you run a business, our God knows our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And usually he's we're going to struggle in business, and he's going to refine us in our weaknesses. And so for me, here I, I'm coming in as an accountant, right? I should have everything financially battened down. I mean, I should be fundraising, and we should have endowments and investments and all kinds of things. But he also knows that I might stop relying upon him if it it was ever too fat and healthy. And so I feel like he's kept us right where we need to be so I would always rely upon him. And so whatever that is in your business life, allow the Lord to refine you in those things and keep you true in those things. But yeah, lifelinechild.org if people want to learn more about the ministry. Highly recommend you checking that out, getting involved. They do amazing work. And if you're in Birmingham, your annual event's coming up soon. October 17th. Yeah. So that'd be a great way to get exposed and to hear some amazing testimonials. So, Herbie, thank you. Thanks. Thanks.